0: Well, what a way to get started this morning, right? Today, we're going to continue our walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You'll find the text that we're going to read inside your bulletin on the, at the center section. Also, you can see the text on the screen in just a moment. As I was thinking about this passage, I was reminded that my skills when it comes to, uh, to constructing and building things are, are not all that, uh, all that great. Uh, in fact, when I was in high school, I was a senior, I got a, a job uh, with a man who built boat docks for a living, and he hired me to come out and to, uh, to help him, and after about 10 or 15 minutes of me uh, taking measurements from him, uh, cutting boards, and then walking it back over to him, he... He stopped me because I had not yet cut a board accurately and so he walked over and he made me show him what I was doing and uh, so I measured it out and I made the cut and it was wrong again even with him standing right there and he said you know what I've got a better job for you rather than you cutting and and having this how about you carry the scrap pieces of lumber out to the to the trailer that'll be your job which was pretty humiliating but what made matters worse was he turned to my 14-year-old brother who was with me and said, Nathan, why don't you cut the wood instead? I'm not your guy if you need things to be accurate or precise when it comes to, uh, to building. Uh, if it's demolition day, I'm all in. Let me know. I'll come and I will help you. But I'm not that kind of a guy. But I know that even with my little bit of knowledge of, of constructing, that if you were to build a structure that weighs 14,500 tons and spans 185 feet tall, it's probably not a good idea to put that structure on a 10-foot foundation in land that could be best described as marsh. Now, if some of you know those dimensions, you'll know that I'm speaking of the Tower of Pisa, You'll remember the leaning tower, of Pisa. There's a reason why we don't know for sure who the architect was who designed that place. Yeah, there you go. You see, uh, it's just not that great of a construction. You'd think that he would know that you need a stable foundation to build that kind of a structure. Well, I share all that today to say what we're going to be looking at in this text that we're about to read is the Apostle Paul pointing to the foundation Of our faith, of the Christian faith, and not just the foundation. What he's going to do is to say, here's the foundation, and here's what happens if you remove it. Here's the foundation, and here's what happens if you remove it. And he's going to talk about the collapse that comes. So as we look today, I want you to be thinking about that foundation and the implications for you and me as we Think about what is this Christian faith. Now, let's read together this passage. You can remain seated. Uh, You'll see it, again, in the notes, but also on the screen. Let's read from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation. And so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. This is God's word. So did you catch the foundation that Paul points to? That is the foundation of Christian faith. It is the resurrection of Jesus. At least this side of the room is ready. I'll I'll give you a pass, guys. I know you had homecoming weekend, and so you're all kind of tired. But yes, the the foundation of the Christian faith that Paul points to here is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And in the the verses that follow, he points out what happens if you remove that foundation. He shows you what's the, the end result of that. His argument basically works this way. He says, if Christ... Uh, has not been raised from the dead. So let me back up. If, if there is no resurrection, if there is no uh, resurrection after, after, the, after the dead, then Jesus could not have been raised from the dead. And if we proclaim a Christ raised from the dead, but there is no resurrection from the dead, then what we proclaim is, well, empty or hollow. He, he argues this two different ways. And it raises a question for us as we look at this particular passage and we ask some questions about it. One is what was happening in his, this church that would lead him to feel like he needed to make this explanation. Well, we don't know for sure, but there's at least a couple of possibilities about what the people of this church in Corinth had begun to think or to adopt or accept. It's possible that There were some in the church who had bought into the Epicurean philosophy of the day, the the Greek philosophy of the day that that taught that this life, the physical life, was all that there was, that there really was nothing, uh, no life after death. And if that was the case, then there really would be no need for an idea of resurrection, Apparently, some of these Christians were buying into that Greek philosophy and uh, were beginning to, uh, to be carried away by that. Uh, alternatively, another group uh, might have been saying that the resurrection was real, but it was only a spiritual rec- resurrection. Uh, that is to say, Jesus, when he died, he really died, but then his resurrection was a spiritual phenomenon. Uh, basically, that Jesus was nothing more than a ghost walking around. And this was a point of contention, not just for Paul's church, but for, uh, for a lot of Christians early on. A lot of people assumed that resurrection really meant sort of this current kind of inward awakening or a new reality, and it didn't really hinge on Jesus being bodily raised from the dead. And so you see stories in the gospel, like the time when Jesus appears after his resurrection to his followers. And one of them, a man named Thomas, had said, well, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive unless I see him and touch his wounds. And so that day, Jesus appears. And he says to Thomas, come and touch me and Thomas uh, Thomas, Thomas can touch his physical body. It says as well that Jesus would, would eat some food with them. He was doing things that only make sense if Jesus was not just a ghost, but rather was a resurrected physical being. The early Christians were saying the foundation of this Christian message is not just that Jesus appeared to rise from the dead, but that he actually did rise from the dead. And that truth would drive the Christian faith. So as this church was wrestling with the the place of resurrection, and apparently some of them were beginning to doubt or to teach that it didn't really matter, the Apostle Paul drives home the point here that if the resurrection is not real, then all of Christianity falls apart it's kind of like this. Put that next picture up there. It's kind of like sitting on a branch that you're going to trim and then cutting the branch that you're sitting on. It's not a good plan, right? What's going to happen? Well, you fall and you get hurt. What Paul is saying is if you cut out resurrection, you're cutting out the very branch upon which you sit and you are going to fall. It's not going to work. And then he begins to talk about what else falls. It's sort of like thinking about a a house of cards that's been stacked up. And if you knock out the bottom of them, all of the cards fall down. In the next few verses, he starts to point out the things that fall if the resurrection is not real. So look in your Bibles at verse, uh, verse 15. I want you to see the the first card that falls. If there is no resurrection of the dead, if Jesus wasn't really risen from the dead, here's the first call, card that begins to fall. It's the very gospel that Paul and the apostles proclaimed. Verse 15 In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. What Paul points out here is that if what the Corinthians were thinking is true, that Jesus had not actually been raised, then the very proclamation that he and Peter and the other followers of Jesus that had been making was not just misguided, it was a lie. And, in fact, it applies not just to them... But it applies to all of us, even today. If if Jesus wasn't really risen from the dead, then the very fact that we're here in this room is not just a mistake, it's a lie. It's a falsehood. The whole declaration of Christianity falls apart if Jesus wasn't risen from the dead. Uh, Think about it this way. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there really is no difference between Christianity and any of the other world religions. Christianity would be reduced to, at best, a system of ethical instruction, Uh, maybe something that can be helpful for you in some parts, but the big part is, well, it's worthless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and if that's the case, then really the best thing that we ought to do is just kind of uh, grab whatever kind of works from what Christianity teaches and what works from, from uh, what Islam teaches and what works from what Hinduism teaches and what works from what Buddhism teaches. We're free to kind of construct whatever reality we want if Jesus wasn't really risen from the dead because the proclamation is Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he would rise from the dead. If that part of the message isn't true, then Christianity is nothing more than some good ideas that we're free to pick and choose from. But if it is true, then we're not free to pick and choose which parts of Christianity we want If it is true, then there is a risen Jesus to whom we must all give account someday. In fact, Jesus is alive. And so that proclamation is not a lie. But if it were, Paul goes on to show the next card that would fall. First is the gospel proclamation from the apostles. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then that gospel proclamation, it it falls apart. But secondly, he says, so does our very faith. Look at verse uh, uh, 16. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. What he's getting to here is that that faith of any sort, it requires an object upon which to rest. All of you right now in this room, you are, you are exercising faith in a particular object. Do you know what that object is? It's your pew, right? It's what you're sitting on. As soon as you put your weight down in that seat, you are placing your faith in a particular object, that pew. Well, what Paul is saying here is, look, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it's the same way. If we are placing our trust in him, if we're going to lean on him and what he did for us, and then we find out that it's not real, well, the whole thing falls down and we fall down with it. He uses the words worthless here in verse 17. And in verse 14, he makes the same point in a different kind of way. He says this, if Christ is not raised, then our proclamation is without foundation, and so is our faith. Why is it? <clears throat> Why is it that resurrection is the foundation of our faith? I mean that's an important question because rightly we put a lot of focus on the cross of Jesus. Wouldn't it be enough for Christ to die? on the cross, in our place for our sins, why would we care if he was resurrected or not? What Paul is pointing to is a really critical truth that if Christ had merely died on the cross, we would have no confidence that our sins were actually forgiven. The foundation of Christian faith is not the cross alone, but the cross and the empty tomb. This is the foundation of our faith. And here's why. Jesus had been going around proclaiming that he was God's son, that he had authority and a kind of authority that no other human could claim to have. He claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. That was his proclamation. And then he said, if you kill me, three days later, I will rise from the dead. And you know what happened? They killed him. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. In his resurrection, there was something something supernatural happening. Something bigger than what we just tend to think about. Because in that moment of resurrection, God the Father was looking at the Son and saying, yes, I approve of Him. God the Father was looking at the sacrifice of the Son and saying, yes, it's enough to atone for sin. God the Father was looking at the Son and saying, yes, I affirm His declaration of authority to forgive sins. He was saying yes to the whole life of Christ. If God had not stamped His approval upon Jesus by raising Him from the dead, then we would have no confidence that Jesus actually had the authority to forgive our sins, that his sacrifice was actually sufficient to forgive our sins. But because God stamped his yes on Jesus by raising him up from the dead, we do have confidence. We do have forgiveness of sins. We do have a hope that cannot be shaken because the eternal one said yes to Jesus. And if we take away the foundation of the resurrection, then we take away the approval of the Father. And in so doing, we take away our confidence that what Jesus did for us, was enough, but brothers and sisters, it was enough. Jesus was raised from the dead, and he now lives and reigns over everything. But there's one more card that falls. It's almost like Paul has been building this with these people to to leave them no place to escape. He starts by talking about the gospel proclamation, and, and that falls you know, intellectually. If, uh, if the resurrection isn't real, then this proclamation, it doesn't make any sense at all. So intellectually, it falls. And then he kind of brings it a little, a little more personal and says, but your faith, I mean, your experience of, of having your sins forgiven and knowing that you don't have to carry that anymore, that falls too. But then when he gets to this third card that falls, it's almost like he intentionally Grabs for their hearts. Look at verse 18. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone else. What else falls if Christ was not raised from the dead? What falls is the hope that I proclaim at every funeral that I do. The hope that there is more life after this life than during. The hope that there is a reunion to come. The hope that we can see our loved ones who have passed on that falls away. Because the only reason that we have any confidence any hope of a life after this one is because of the life that Jesus is living right now. And when you think about the context of these people, it's very different than ours. There's no modern medicine. There's no no healthy standards of living. These people were well acquainted with the loss and grief of death. That's almost like Paul says, look, you believed in this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, because you needed this kind of a hope. How could you possibly now undermine that very hope that helps you keep going forward? So Paul says, look, the foundation of Christian faith is a resurrected, living Jesus And if you remove that foundation, the whole thing just comes crashing down. Now, it's easy for us today to kind of hear all of that and go, well, those Corinthians were pretty foolish. Shame on them for discounting the resurrection. We don't do that. And and maybe not. Maybe you haven't doubted the resurrection of Jesus lately. But I don't want us to move on too quickly because... I think that there are some ways that we subtly undercut our own belief in resurrection and may not even realize it. The first way that I want you to think about that we can undercut our belief in resurrection, this this truth that Jesus is raised from the dead, is simply that we fail to talk about it. Now, we're about to talk about Jesus a lot in our culture. We're about to have a season where it is okay to display Jesus. He's going to show up in advertisements. He's going to show up in songs that people sing. I'm talking about Christmas. For those of you who don't know, it's coming, Christmas. Uh, everybody gets excited about Jesus around Christmas time. Uh, we can, it's okay to talk about Jesus. We love talking about that little baby, this gift of God's love to the world, that God is close and he's present. Uh, even secular people are okay with, uh, with little baby Jesus. And it's easy for us as Christians to, to talk about baby Jesus because everybody else is okay with that pretty much too. They kind of get that. But here's the deal. If we only talk about little baby Jesus, then we are participating in undermining belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know why people are okay with talking about baby Jesus? Because a little seven pound, six ounce baby Jesus doesn't demand anything of you, right? I mean, he brings up good feelings and it's nice to give gifts, but a little baby Jesus doesn't actually require anything of you. But if you talk about a resurrected Jesus, a a man who lived and died and rose and lives and reigns right now and claims authority over all of this universe, that Jesus, not everybody wants to talk about. Because that Jesus has expectations of us. Think about it this way. Imagine a classroom full of kids and the, the teacher says to the student, students, I have to step out, but I want you to know that the principal is watching and you will be in trouble if you uh, disobey and get, uh, get unruly while I'm out of the classroom. And I'm counting on each of y'all to, to work together to make sure that our classroom stays in good order because the principal's coming and the teacher steps out of the room. Well, at first the kids are kind of quiet and then and then one of them uh, starts to whisper to his neighbor and they all kind of look around and nothing bad happens. And so um, another one starts to talk a little more loudly and uh, makes a joke to one of his friends and they all are kind of looking around, but, but nothing bad happens. And then one particularly unruly kid, he tears out a piece of notebook paper, wads it up into a ball and then beans his friend in the back of the head and then looks around and nothing bad happens. And before long, the whole class is going crazy. I mean, they're throwing paper everywhere, and it's all nuts. But, but one student is, is remembering that word from the teacher. Hey, the principal's watching. And so that student is, is, is very intent on staying, staying put. Uh, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't talk. He doesn't throw paper. Uh, he's going to follow the line. Well, sure enough, the door opens, and suddenly, everyone in the class is acting like innocent little angels. It's amazing what, uh, what has happened. And in walks The principal. He doesn't say anything. He just takes a marker and he starts to write down names on the board and the students realize pretty quickly that the names he's writing on the board are those students who instigated the class riot. But then he writes another name on the board. He writes the name of that one student who didn't participate in all the craziness. And then he turns to the class, and he doesn't address everybody. He addresses that one student. And he says, you have detention as well. And the student looks shocked and says, well, what, I didn't do anything. I did exactly what I was told. And he said, no, you didn't. What you did not do was you did not warn your classmates. You didn't try to stop them from doing anything. You cared only about yourself, and you let your class become a crazy, unruly madhouse. And so the lesson for you to learn today is that there are consequences for that too. Here's the deal, y'all. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and he is, and someday he's coming back, and on that day, everyone has to give account For their craziness, for all the unruly behavior. Everyone, including those who claimed to be his followers, but who kept quiet about the truth of a risen Lord, everyone has to give accounts. Even his followers who failed to speak up and say, don't go that way. There is a real Jesus who is really watching and who will really call you to account. Don't go that way. Come to him. Trust him. When we fail to talk about a resurrected, ruling, reigning Jesus and are content to just talk about little baby Jesus, we're the ones who undercut belief in the resurrection without even realizing it. But there's another way that is perhaps even more prevalent and problematic. If we undercut faith in the resurrection by failing to talk about the resurrection, we also undercut faith in the resurrection when we allow worry to rule in our hearts, when, when we allow worry to rule in our hearts, what we, are, what we are saying is that the risen Jesus is either not powerful enough to respond to what I'm afraid of, or he doesn't really care about me. Enough to do something about it. Worry. Worry especially that leads to despair and to hopelessness. This is not our culture undercutting our faith in the resurrection. It's ourselves. When we allow worry to rule, instead of trusting our risen Savior to rule, then we undercut faith in the resurrection, our own faith. Martin Luther, the reformer, was a brilliant man and uh, saw incredible things happen under his life and ministry. But he was prone to severe bouts of depression and worry. He would write about feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders and just being overwhelmed with darkness well, there's a story about a day where his friends were so worried about Martin that they said, Martin, you just need to, to, to go take a walk, get out in nature. Um, we, we don't know how else to help you, but we recognize this darkness and worry and fear and gloom. It's just not good for you. So go take a walk and, and, and see if God will help you. And so he did. He took a walk and uh, spent some time by himself, but it didn't work. So he comes back home and as he walks into his home, he saw his wife sitting at the table, and she was dressed in an unusual way. She was dressed all in black. She was wearing what Luther knew to be the dress that she wore when someone had died. Uh, it was a mourning dress, preparing for a funeral. And so Luther sees her, and 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 just feeling overwhelmed, he says, "Oh no, who died?" And the weight of this grief and depression started to roll onto him even further. And his wife very calmly looked at him and said, Well, haven't you heard, doctor? God is dead. And it kind of jolted Luther. And he said, What do you mean God is dead? And he began to, to rebuke her and say, We're, We believe in, in a living God. And, and I can't believe that you would say that. And she, she stopped him. She said, Oh, well... Well, I must have misunderstood for the great Martin Luther to walk around in such despair and discouragement. I could only conclude that the God whom he trusted had died, and Luther got the point. And I hope you do as well. If Jesus is alive, if our God is living and reigning and ruling, and if he is good and powerful and wise, then how could we possibly allow worry and discouragement and despair to rule in our hearts instead of him? When we do, we are declaring with our hearts that we don't really believe that he's resurrected. But he is. He loves you. And he proved his love by giving his life for you. And he is powerful. He's so powerful that he could go even to death and defeat it. So what do you face in your life that could be worse than death? Because even that enemy, he has destroyed And so you can trust him. The foundation of our faith is a crucified and resurrected Jesus. Place your trust in him. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we need your help. We confess that all too often the default mode of our heart is not trusting your risen Savior, Jesus, but rather living in worry and defeat and fear. We confess it and we name it as the sin and rebellion that it is, and we rely on your grace and your mercy. Forgive us, Father. Forgive me, Father. Would you so capture our hearts with this truth of our resurrected Jesus that we would just be able to take a breath And rest in his hand. Thank you that in your brilliant wisdom that you would give us your beautiful son, Jesus. Let our hearts be founded on him and him alone. We pray this believing that you hear us because of what he has done for us. Amen.